OTB GAA. Welcome to the Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, host of this podcast and a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing consultant. You are listening to the second part of a two-part interview with Offaly legend Niall McNamee. Here he opens up about life and recovery from gambling addiction and how he has maintained his well-being since his last bet almost 11 years ago. Niall also discusses how he uses his own struggles to help other people and the rise of problem gambling in sport and wider society. In part one of this conversation, Niall reflected on his sporting career to date and his journey as a successful entrepreneur. You can find that episode by searching The Player's Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. If you are a member of the Gaelic Players Association and worried about problem gambling, call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808 from the Republic of Ireland or from Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and need support, please check out gamblersanonymous.ie or problemgambling.ie. Finally, this podcast is brought to you as part of Bio360, a GPA program that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. For anyone that doesn't know, like you had gone through gambling addiction and have, have dealt with and been dealing with gambling addiction. You're now, am I right in saying 12 years since your last bet? Uh, my last bet was in November 2011. So what's that? 11 years this November. Right, wow. Um, I suppose even look at just even starting that conversation, I'll, how, how does it feel when someone like myself like says that number back to you or it gives you a number of how long it's been? What does that emote in you or what does that dig up in you? Yeah, it's, I suppose it's one of those things where you're kind of, I don't think about it often, but when I actually say it or when I actually really sit down and think about it, I I'm, I, I do this, a, a, not a lot, but I do it a couple of times a year. If I'm, wouldn't say necessarily struggling, but if I'm trying to find a bit of sense of where I've come from or what's after happened or what's going on in life, or I might be maybe feeling a little bit, you know, the world's against me or things aren't going the way I kind of want them to go. Um, a lot of the time I'll sit down and kind of reflect on the previous 12 months and I just might write down things that have happened or maybe little minor achievements that have been happening over the last 12 months or whatever. Um, so when I get those kind of moments throughout the year and actually reflect on them, um, that's obviously a huge one um, in the sense that uh, I just couldn't, like to say 11, nearly almost 11 years uh like there was a time and I, and I don't mean I know anyone that's struggling with addiction or anyone that has gone through say from a gambling perspective will completely understand what I get when I, when I say this um, and other people just won't uh, like my mother for example used to say, tell me years ago you know if I come home after losing all my money she'd say why can't you just stop you know for a lot of people they just think you know it's, it's, it's easy like but I literally couldn't walk past the bookies or couldn't you know not go in if I had money in my pocket and if the bookies was open it was just impossible for me to do it unless I was um, going to train and maybe or had a match and I knew I'd be late that was the only reason I'd ever leave um, so to this day to be able to 
drive through towns, walk past bookie shops, um, see the odd gambling ad on the television or on the radio, and for st me still not to have, uh, wouldn't say not to have the compulsion because I still have the compulsions from time to time, um, but for for not actually physically go in and make that bet, um, it is not in short of a miracle, like, uh, and um, like I, I don't underestimate that because. Um, I suppose all the things we've spoken about for the last, whatever it is, 40 minutes or so, none of that is possible if I if I had continued to go into a bookies. And that's what I kind of meant when I said in the early 20s phase, like, there would have been a time where I would have wanted to set up my own business or do something, but, like, confidence wouldn't have had it because I was losing money, telling lies, uh, kind of cheating on myself a little bit when it comes to life, um, not really happy, kind of world's always against me, why don't things always work out for me type of an attitude, uh, terrible financially, um, now, I often think if I did set up a business in my early 20s, would I have actually been able to manage the money a little bit better because it was my own project and because I was passionate about it and something obviously I'll never know. But it could have been it could have been the case, but I doubt it because I think there was a lot of underlying stuff there that was driving me back down the road of going into a bookies and there was a lot of other reasons that were kind of sending me in through the doors other than the financial aspect of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I honestly do. I, I, I say this a lot. It is a miracle. Like There's no doubt about it. And uh, I suppose the people that I've met along the way from... Um, in recovery that have helped me along the way as well in terms of talking about stuff that's going on for me and obviously being able to open up to them around you know my experiences with gambling and also just in life in general um, has been a huge source of uh, comfort and help for me over the years as well um, I remember going to my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting and there was a guy just basically telling my story out of his mouth um, like the exact same and it was the first time I was ever at a meeting before in my life Gamblers Anonymous meeting and uh, didn't know what to expect and uh I was just, I, I was so happy walking out the door knowing that I wasn't alone. Um, I was so afraid up to that point thinking I was the only person in the world who had this problem because in my eyes I didn't think anyone was as bad as me. So when I actually figure out, okay, there's other people that have done this and there is a way out of it and there is help and there is support, um, well, like it was just incredible. And then obviously they've been a huge support to me over the years and if I ever do get the urge to have a bet or that compulsion arises in me, like they're only all a phone call away or they're the next meeting away that I can actually reach out to them and, you know, have a chat about it and there's always a reason underneath. So gambling is gambling and people see it as going into the money and placing the bet and it's a financial thing but there's always something deeper. There is obviously that idea of winning money and you know, there could be financial difficulties. I need, I need to win money and I need to pay this, I need to pay that and if I go in and back a horse and back whatever, you know, I win enough money to pay what I need to pay off and that's fine. So the issue for me was and the issue for most people who are compulsive gamblers is once they get the money back that they need to pay for this or pay for that, they just won't stop. They'll keep going and eventually they'll end up losing what they've had or the money they've won. They'll end up losing any money they had when they went in and then they'll probably more than likely go start either stealing money from somebody or borrowing money off friends, family um, or employer or whatever it might be and just keep digging the hole bigger and bigger and bigger. And then that just starts chipping away at, uh, I suppose, chipping away at all the kind of good aspects or the good um, the good characteristics that we have as human beings to start to erode away because you start doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're lying, you're being dishonest, you're, you know, um, you're arriving late to stuff, you're getting agitated, you're start to build up resentment towards yourself and other people and um, you become very untrustworthy the whole world kind of seems that it's against you so all those things have to get factored into that so yeah as I say um, that's just been a huge body of learning for me over the last number of years and um, been very lucky in terms of the people that I've had around me and um, both family and people in recovery and obviously people that I met through going in for treatment and um, both counsellors and and patients as well and uh, just got a great education around why I was gambling and uh Anyone might ring me today, anyone that's struggling with it that could ring me and like the stories never change.
ever. And they always think, geez, what's he going to think of me? Or, you know, I did this and I'm terrible and this. And they go, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. It's always the same. And uh, it kind of gives the person that little bit of relief to know that they're not alone, that, you know, it's, 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 uh, people might, might be saying this either, but it is a disease at the end of the day. Like there is, there is, um, you know, it affects the brain, it affects the mind, it affects the soul, it affects everything that's good about us. And, you know, you need to kind of take care of yourself in terms of getting, getting, um, getting help. And one of the biggest reasons most people either don't get help or relapse is because while they might be going around and be unbelievably, I suppose, forgiving of other people and apologising to other people, they actually don't go and forgive themselves. So they're carrying around this type of a resentment or this type of, um, um, you know, disgust maybe with themselves of all the things that they did while they were gambling in terms of, as I mentioned earlier, the lies and maybe whatever else that goes with it. Um, but they actually don't have that space to actually be able to accept themselves and to apologise to themselves and to, you know, uh, forgive themselves, I suppose. And, uh, um, you know, so I, I was lucky that I learned all that sort of stuff when I went in for treatment and obviously I've continued it on through through going to the meeting since since uh, I've gone into recovery and obviously the friends that I've met through recovery then as well have been a, a massive help along the way. And, and it's been a really good grounding for me with the business as well because it's, it's allowed me, uh, I suppose, not to take things overly seriously, uh, to kind of let things, you know, and we were chatting before we started about like last week, I wouldn't say I had a meltdown, but I was struggling like uh, from a work point of view that there was a lot going on. Um, I'm trying to open the shop at the moment as well. Uh, we have the boots, uh, getting married, football, uh, trying to organise the wedding, trying to build the house, all these things happening. And it just became a little bit overwhelming last Wednesday. And all it was was just a phone call then to, no, it took a couple of phone calls to try and get me out the other side of it. Like, But then it took me last Thursday and Friday to actually just take a step back. I said, you know what, Niall, maybe you're just doing too much. You maybe have to start uh, not looking too far into the future here and I start planning this, that and the other in four or five months' time and saying, okay, well, what needs to get done today? What's number one priority? And ch- check that off the list and just bring it back into the day. And that all just comes from recovery. Like, They're all principles of, of recovery. Like, They're all things that you're told to practice while, when, when you're in recovery. It's a great... Um, it's a great direction or director of living. It really shows you a great, pro- it's a great program to, to, to live your life by. Um, now, I slip in and out with the program from time to time in terms of not doing everything perfectly, which that's only human as well. Um, but for the most part, um, it's been an unbelievable uh, help to me throughout my life in loads of different ways. Um, and I don't think I'd be this far along in the business. Uh, I actually, I know 100% I wouldn't be if, if it wasn't for it. Um, so yeah, a miracle would be the one of the reasons that mm. I can't step into a bookies anymore, one hundred percent. And like all, all that journey you described yourself, Niall, there of of I suppose what you've been learning, what you've been through, and this was one of the huge, like one of the huge benefits that you get to be able to do then is to be able to share those insights with other people and to help other people as well, you know. Um, and listen, I know for a fact that many people you have helped, like if that's a phone call or a sit down and. Could you kind of talk when talk to about us when someone reaches out to you, kind of what you feel like your role is in those situations, and then kind of what kind of services are pe- are available for people, kind of just because someone, hey, someone maybe listening to this that is struggling themselves or thinking about kind of what's the next step for me, or also might be a mother or a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister or whatever it is. So kind of what do you feel like your role is in that situation, and then kind of what kind of services are open or available to others who may need help in this regard. Firstly, what I'd say to that is, I suppose, from a services point of view, right, um, and this is something that's kind of a bugbear of mine at the moment, is that, so there is Gamblers Anonymous, which is an incredible, uh, which is an incredible um, facility for people to go that are struggling with gambling. I suppose what I have found over the last number of years is it's difficult to get people to go to it. 
why is that? I suppose there's that fear of first, I suppose, taking that first step. Uh, obviously, a Gamblers Anonymous meeting is a mixture of people of uh, different backgrounds, different ages, um, all anonymous, obviously, but it, like, you go into your first meeting, there could be 10 people at it, there could be 20 people at it. Like, it's, it's overwhelming to walk into a room. Um, somebody could be really on the floor in the sense of, uh, you know, like, life is in turmoil. And, you know, you're walking into this room and you're, you know, you're, you're expected to trust and to hand over, you know, all this experience to people that you don't know. And then there's that fear of maybe going in and actually seeing someone that you do know. Sure. But as it, con- as it conspire or transpires, if you're to walk in and see someone that you do know, the likelihood is it's actually a good thing because they're there for the same reason you're there. And yet people who are early recovery or who want to get a bit of help, that's one of the biggest fears is actually what if I see someone or what if someone sees me going in or whatever, because they just don't know what's ahead for them. They don't realise, you know, what could actually be possible in recovery because it's like I was very lucky. I went to my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting on a Tuesday, went for an assessment in a treatment centre the following Friday and for treatment the following Wednesday. So it was just drilled into me from more to go like this is, you know, you know, the steps that you need to take to... But not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody has that that support system straight away. Like so, that's probably what I'm getting at. Is that I wish there was something, there was that kind of halfway of you know that kind of one to one support that someone could get initially, and then kind of feed them in then to that idea of getting that group support that you can actually yeah. feed into it. But it's it, 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 it's difficult because firstly. If it's a per- an individual themselves who's come to me and decided they want to get help, so it's not a family member or anybody else, they've actually said, you know what, I, I want to get a bit of help. Likelihood is they've no money. They've spent it all. They've gambled it all. They're in debt. So you say to them, well, I need you to go and go and get a one-to-one with a, with an addiction counsellor. Well, that's going to be 70 euro or whatever it is. Like, oof, well, I don't have 70 euro. Like. And then the majority of people, I wouldn't say it, majority of addiction counsellors probably would say, look, well, I might give you the first couple free or whatever, and then you, but whatever, but... No one, if someone's coming into recovery or looking to stop gambling, they don't really want to do that either. They don't want something to hand me out either. They want to be able to pay their way or whatever it is. So you're kind of in that grey area of, um, and that generally would be what happens with me, is that someone rings me, could be a family member, could be the person themselves. Um, and what I would generally do is I just have the conversation. I'll let them talk. And they always think that they're going to shock me with what they're going to say. And they never do because I've done the majority of the things they've, they said they've done themselves. Uh, usually we'll, if, if, if time permits it, I'll try and meet them for a cup of coffee. Um, couple of meetings, couple of phone calls and then I'll introduce them to Gamblers Anonymous, I'll introduce them to the meetings, I'll introduce them to the fellowship and I might bring them to their first meeting, maybe their second meeting and after that then, just for my own well-being, I'll say, I'm going to have to let you go now. My phone is always on, if you want to have a chat with me or ask me any questions or inquire about anything, absolutely no problem because people don't realise, they might think they're being a burden to me but they're actually helping me. So when I hear someone coming in that's new, that has a... uh, a new story to tell, they're, you know, they're after falling out at home or there's issues at home, all because of their gambling. Well, it just brings me right back to when I was gambling. And all I get from it is pure gratitude for where I am right now. I, I can experience it go, oh, well, geez, remember when I did that? Now, obviously, I empathise with the person, but as well, for me, I'm going, Jesus, thank God I'm not still doing that. So it kind of gives me that little bit of a boost. So people think that they're being a burden, but actually it's helping me. Like it's, it's, it's doing the absolute opposite of what they think they're doing. So that's generally what I will do is I'll bring them to hopefully a meeting or two if, if they're willing to go to one. And then I'll say, look, that's my number. Contact me whenever you need. Anything that comes up, you might want to have a chat about. But ultimately, I've given you the direction now. Uh, it might be, say, I'm given a, a couple of options for addiction counsellors. You have your meetings. They're all lotted out for you. You have my number. And then it might be a case of, or then I'll say, look, if you need me, give me a call. But ultimately, you have the details now. You have all the information you need. Like, it's up to you if you want to change, if you want to get help. Um, and unfortunately, and it's only from experience, a lot of people don't want help. Uh, they want to help, or they think they want to help, 
but uh, this thing like of uh, self-sabotage is a huge thing in, in, in addiction where people actually start getting better, doing well, you know, get their life back on track and then deep down there's this kind of an inbuilt, uh, just type of an inbuilt, uh, I suppose, makeup that's within them since whenever they were young that they don't deserve to be happy like. So what can I do now? What can I do now to erode all the good stuff that's happened for me over the last couple of uh, months of being in recovery or whatever it is and eventually they'll go back gambling? Or else it might just be a case of there could be a family issue, there could be something, a bereavement in the family, they might have lost their job, they could be under financial difficulty, they could have broken up with a partner, there could be a whole host of different reasons. But their only reaction to deal with addiction or to deal with anything in life has always been to go gambling or in the case of alcohol, uh, go for a drink or drugs, drug addiction, could we take drugs? That's their way of dealing with those things. That kind of a self-sabotage thing is, is actually a huge one for people that, yeah. and people people might think it, but uh, they actually might be doing really well in their in their life. And then just something in them thinks, oh, Jesus, should I really be happy here? And they might start reflecting on things they did in the past. They might feel that bit of shame, that bit of guilt, and that becomes overwhelming. Then they start living a little bit more in the past. And eventually then it brings them back into the same, same routine as they've always lived. And uh, again, as I say, from a recovery point of view, I'm absolutely not perfect on it, but as I say, I got a really, really good education early on and I don't think some of it's left me. And so sometimes I'd be chatting to people in recovery and say, geez, you know what, no, I'm probably not as sharp as I was maybe five, six, seven years ago. Um, but the majority of the stuff that I need to keep bringing me back in to keep making sure that I stay on the right track is still there. Um, and I suppose that keeps me in line from, from, on, from day to day just to make sure that I don't slip back down into that road again. Because I, again, I have a lot of really good things happening in life at the moment. A lot of challenges, obviously, as no, no different than anybody else. But um, if I throw gambling into the mix, like it's all gone. Uh, yeah. It really is like, and I, I lose the trust of family again. Uh, and when I say lose the trust, not even that. I wouldn't even, not that I wouldn't mind, but you have, it's not even that you lose the trust. It's I'd be taking away their peace of mind again. That would be the thing that would, that would, that would annoy me the most or worry me the most. So like, if I knew a family member of mine knew I was gambling, like I know they wouldn't be sleeping properly because they'd be worrying, am I still doing it or am I going back at it again or am I going to be getting a phone call someday or some night or am I going to be getting a call looking for money or is this going to be happening? And um, That was one of the biggest things I never realised that was happening while I was gambling, but it's only since I've stopped I was able to reflect on it and have, a, you know, obviously those conversations where, you know, I was told, look, this is why or, you know, I didn't, we, we couldn't sleep at night or we were driving down to see we okay in the middle of the night, this type of stuff. And of course, I was oblivious to it, but it's only since I've stopped. So I suppose that would be my biggest fear if that ever happened again. But uh, yeah, um, I'd love to be able to bridge that gap. And maybe 12s might be able to do it in, in the future. I suppose that's always something that's been in the back of my mind in terms of developing maybe a program or developing some kind of a support system. I don't know how to do it. If there's anyone out there that's listening that has an idea around that, that would like to can just have a chat about it or talk about it or has an idea how to get it off the ground or there's some kind of a collaboration and there's something there. I know there is because it keeps coming back to me uh, in terms of doing something around it, but I just haven't put all the, just haven't been able to put it all together yet. But I do think there is a space there around like there's lots of things now around workplace well-being and all this type of stuff in terms of helping people in the workplace this type of stuff but addiction is it's 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 different uh i did a i did a talk here mental health ireland did a thing a couple of years ago a course and i, I was on it and the, the people in the room like were asking questions at the end like but there's like a page i think at the end on addiction and the lady that was facilitating it basically said yeah like, she didn't know obviously i was in recovery like but uh, she said, yeah, these, you know, when it comes to addiction, like people are a little bit different. <laughs> there wasn't, there's an, there is, there's another layer there, like 
and like, I don't mean that in a braggy way. I'm not trying to say yeah. we're, we're different in a good way. Like, but there's it's a, more complex. There's another layer. Like, there's a there's another mm-hmm. layer that needs to be d- got down to the bottom of. And it's just it's a really interesting space that I just feel that there's not something there that kind of first one stop spot. And don't get me wrong, brilliant organisations around Ireland that look at like there's the likes of your Asheries, your Coomeries, your Rutland centres, um, who look after the odd types of places, um, and people that come in off the street and they're able to look after them straight away and get them help and support. But there's just probably not enough of them, um, and yeah. and I anyway, look, I can get very philosophical now, but like the world is at the moment, and you're it's 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 tough. It's not easy at the moment. I like, can driving through cities or driving through towns, a lot of rundown buildings, a lot of people struggling, a lot of people struggling to put food on the table. Um, addiction is a huge part of that, uh, and uh, like I seen someone the other day had something up on Twitter about like the hate the hate to see the word junkie being used, right? And I remember when I was in treatment, I used to go to meetings in Rutland on a Saturday morning. Never crossed my mind before in my life. Never called anyone a junkie in my life. Probably didn't even know what it meant. But learned, obviously, through treatment and being with people that were struggling with drugs, what it was. And the impact that it had on people was absolutely phenomenal. People like that, that were struggling with drugs. that term? Oh, man. Absolutely unbelievable. Like, it was pure, like, so demeaning to them. Like, it used to, like, it would kill their spirit completely. Yeah, it just dehumanises them. Unbelievably, man, and I, I, I swear, I, I had no idea. I literally, I don't even think I heard the word. Might have heard it, but I never would have related to it. So now, if I'm driving through a town and I see, and I know, you know, by someone you see them, I might have like, but if I'm driving through a town and I see someone like that, like it's the last thing that comes into my head. Like all I see is someone that's in serious pain. Like I know there's an absolute well of fucking trauma or whatever, like just layered and layered and layered on top of it, like. And for whatever reason, that person either hasn't got the help or was brought into a household or brought into a family or system or brought into wherever it might be that just they were never given the chance. Like, now they might never recover or they might never get a bit of help, but that still doesn't give, you know, or still shouldn't blacklist them from, you know, uh, being a part of a community or being a part of, uh, I suppose, the country in this case or whatever it might be. So anyway, I just, I just, uh, I'm strong, I feel strongly about it, but I just don't know. Again, I haven't put all, joined all the dots on it together. So I say, if there's anyone listening that has a, an idea around it, I'd love to chat to them because I think there definitely is totally. there is something there that we could, you know, put together that would be able to kind of bridge that gap to make sure that people are getting immediate support straight away, and uh, obviously at very limited zero cost to the person themselves. Um, but anyway, I don't know what it is, but hopefully in the future we can we can put our heads together on it. No, and I think like the the. Say the scenario you described there, Niall, like of of driving through a town and seeing someone who you know is in literally like is in profound pain, like deep pain and suffering that's been layered down for years and years. Um, maybe never got the help, maybe had been brought to the help but couldn't accept it, or as you said earlier on, the self sabotage self sabotage couldn't just couldn't work through that. And then I suppose on the other end of the scale that I did want to kind of talk to you about while we're here is like and I know I've told you this story before of I was in a we've both done hundreds of if not thousands between us of like talks mental health talks with school groups and with classes around Ireland and I always remember I was in a school and the teacher just pulled me aside before I went in she was like just so you know we've kind of had a bit of an issue with gambling in the school lately um would you just bring it up in your talk and I was like sure I was like obviously it's not my area of expertise but just I'll, I'll touch upon it and basically long story short like I was in a class with probably 15 16 year olds um and I asked them hey if someone if someone came in now and said, hey, my uncle just had a sure thing or there was word of a sure thing and a, whatever game it was, whatever it was, who here could do a bet today? Even though, you know, they're all underage, they're all in school, they were sitting in their uniforms 
And I'll never forget it because it always sticks with me. More than half the class was up the hand, said like they could get that bet done within minutes. Um, via the phone, via someone else's profile, via someone doing it for them. And I suppose it always just, it kind of, it always really just shook me because that's at the very other end of the scale in terms of awareness and education, understanding. And I suppose from the work you've been doing and the insights you have, like, what do we need to do better in terms of education on the, the not and not even necessarily prevention because I don't think like I'm not coming here saying someone should never bet or whatever and but just trying to help alleviate or to educate at the start of the scale what can we do better there yeah and again that I, I'd be the same, same as that I, I wouldn't and again if I, if it's the school I'm talking in or a GA club or if it's a business like I don't go there to to tell people not to gamble like uh, like <laughs> I had great crack when I was gambling, like so. I, I completely get it. Like I understand. I I, I like obviously it, it didn't end up well, but I understand the buzz. I understand the adrenaline. I understand everything else that goes with that. Um, so if I'm going into do a talk, I don't say look, just don't gamble. I will say uh, there is a cohort of people that will struggle with it. Um, so from that point of view, I'm gonna. When you, when you ask now about what do we need to do from a prevention point of view from an early stage point of view the biggest issue for me is right someone actually brought this up to me recently there's a couple of things so when I, I'm an Aston Villa supporter alright and I uh, haven't started the season well at all Stevie G is going to be out the door shortly I'd say <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, when I supported Aston Villa I supported Aston Villa since I was like I don't know 7 or 8 and um, I had all their jerseys growing up and to this day I can remember all the sponsors in the jerseys so there was Muller, there was ASD computers, there was LDV vans, all the way up along. I can remember all the metacopiers. There was all these sponsors, right? And as we get a bit older, you kind of forget sometimes, well, I forget about uh, children. So I forget the impact that things have on children. Like, I don't have kids, uh, have nieces and nephews, but I don't really, like, in terms of their day-to-day, it wouldn't really be something that would, um, would register with me too much, but... Someone mentioned it to me re- or a couple of years ago. So now I know I knew all them soccer sponsors, for example, right, for Aston Villa. But nowadays, it's not as bad as it was, say, this year, as opposed to maybe the last 10 years. But maybe, I'm not sure what the number was, maybe I think it was eight or maybe 10 out of the 20 teams in the Premiership were sponsored by betting companies mm-hmm. over the last maybe 10 years. So all that's doing for kids is normalising it. So they're growing up like, the same way I did with your Muller, your LDV vans, your ASD computer. So they are now seeing boil sports. They're seeing whatever all the way on all these um, uh, Asian um, uh, Bet three six fives. Your uh, Betway West Ham. All these. They're, so that's just been normalised for them. Similarly, when I'm watching sport, I watch a lot of sport. If I'm watching the golf here on a, on a Sunday night, like every ad, there's going to be at least between each ad break, there'll be at least two betting ads at least every every night. Again, just been completely normalised. Uh, listening to radio, there'll be ads on it. The lottery, for example, that's absolutely bombarded. People don't realise the lottery, lotto's gambling. Like, so when you go into recovery, you don't buy scratch cards, you don't buy lottery tickets anymore. Like that's part of your recovery because it's seen, it's deemed as gambling. You don't, you don't. When I'm captain of the club team at home, uh, when I go up for the toss, I don't call the toss. Like, I'll get the other guy to to call heads or tails. Like, now that's taken it to the extreme, but it, it's mm-hmm. it's again the back of my mind. It's just been very very aware of it. Um, so there's that side of it in terms of how easy and accessible it is and how normalised it's been, right? So that, that needs to be looked at in terms of it shouldn't be in front of people's faces. It shouldn't be promoted uh, as much as it is, say, at sporting events. It shouldn't, like, basically, people nowadays, young people believe gambling and sport goes hand in hand. So that needs to be uh, 
that needs to be checked. That needs to be looked into in terms of sponsors at games, in terms of sponsorship during games, and what teams are wearing under their shirts. So that's one thing you can look at. The next thing, and probably the most out, outlandish thing I think should happen, right? And I'm going. I'll give you a, a story. We're probably going on too long, but I'm going to give you the story anyway. Say you go into a bank tomorrow to get a car loan, right? Uh, and they say, right, this is my income. This is how much I earn every month. Uh, this is my disposable income. And this is the kind of car I want. They'll put into their computer what you can earn or what you can, can you afford it? Affordability calculator. Yeah, there you go. And you can go buy that car. There's the money. Away you go. So off you go, you buy the car. The next day you go into the different bank, not the same branch or not the same company. So you walk into the next branch the next day and you say you need X amount of money, same amount of money if you want to buy a new car. Straight away, they look up your ICB system or the ICB. They'll see, well, you just got a bank loan yesterday for a car loan. What do you want one for now? And they'll say, no, you don't have the affordability to buy one. You walk into a bookmaker's today and set up an account. You don't get asked for anything. Anything. Right? Set up an email address. Away you go. You can walk into another bookmaker's the very next day. Different company. Do the very same. You can literally, within a week, set up 20 different accounts and nobody has any clue uh, that you're doing it. Also, you can lodge as much money as you want. You can bet as much as you want. No one traces where that money comes from. So, say, if, if you're stealing it, if it's money laundering, if it's just out of your wages, whatever it might be, there's no affordability test done. Now, this is extreme now, so I, I get this, right? But I have no problem with people gambling. None whatsoever. Like, I think... As a pastime for people, absolutely brilliant. Some people love Cheltenham. They'll save up money all year. They'll go to Cheltenham for four days, have a few bets, have a great time, and then they'll stop and they won't do it again until the following year. Other people will do it every day of the week. And the people that go to Cheltenham or that have those couple of race meetings a week or the two, the few soccer bets at the weekend, they could quite easily walk into a bookies. With an afford, do an affordability test. Pick whatever bookmaker you want. So the bookmakers can advertise or can, can advertise for your business, basically. You go in, you pick that bookie and say, right, I'm going to gamble with G. This is the amount of money you can gamble every month. Simple as that. You can't go over that. You can't deposit anymore. There's a check then. There's an ICB basically for bookmakers that you already have an account with, say, Paddy Power. You can't have them with Labrooks. And you gamble in there. And you can decide after, uh, you get a contract after a year and say, right, I don't want to be with G anymore and you can go somewhere else. But there's an affordability test done about how much you can gamble. And if that means you're only going to do it, because the majority of people can do that, can set aside the amount of money to do it. But it's the people who are the vulnerable ones that can't are the ones that are funding the bookmakers. They're the ones that are making the millions because they're the ones that can't control it. And there's nothing in place right now. Like you can go in and you can do your, you can block it or you can say, you have a timeout and all this type of stuff. Like for someone like me, that's been an addiction, right? If I was gambling online and I was timed out, time myself out, like do you think I wouldn't go to an ATM and take out as much cash as I could and go and run straight to a bookies if I was either on the floor or on a roll? Like it just wouldn't happen. Like I would be out the gap and gone. Um, but for me so then if you walk into a bookmakers you can't walk in then to a Labrooks if you have a Paddy Power account and have a bet in there you have to have your own identity card or whatever it might be to say yeah I'm a member here I can have a bet best they with them I have instead of high profile casinos now I know that's absolutely completely full on extreme but for me I just see it every day man. my phone never stops people ringing me family members text messages phone calls day in day out um, it might be go quiet for a week two weeks and I say oh, maybe it's calmed down next thing it just bombards again like through everything to get me on every app I have or every there's messages coming through to me every week around people that are struggling family members that are struggling yeah. and uh, it's just getting worse and worse and worse the access to it is just far too much and it's only preying on people who have no money 
So I remember when I was gambling, when, when, when the recession kicked in around 2008, I was delighted because I said I had no money now to gamble. And it got worse. Because I had no money and I wanted to live a certain lifestyle or I wanted to be able to do certain things or I was in X amount of debt, wanted to try and get money back, it ended up that I started gambling more and more and getting more and more money off people or borrowing more money where I could or just week in, week out, getting paid on a Friday, going straight to the bookies, just crazy stuff. So it's only going to get worse for those types of people. Um, so that for me would be that if that was ever put through, it would just mean so much. Uh, now, obviously, then you come back to the shape of the world at the moment and who makes all the decisions. And the, 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 the reality is all the big betting companies are just, just lobbying governments and saying, this is, we're going to pay through this or, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to, uh, or we'll, we'll, we'll fund X, Y and Z um, for just to allow us to keep doing what we're doing. There are small changes coming in, like, but they're not significant in the sense that they're going to help anyone. Um, and just it's detrimental to not only the individual, but for families then as well. Like the knock-on effect it has on people's families is absolutely colossal. Like, um, so it's a it's a tricky one. Like now again, as I say, I'm 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 I consider myself one of the very lucky ones that I've been able to find you know that bit of peace away from it. Like, um, I'd hate to be back in that situation again, especially now where things are that's so accessible. And I often see free bet ads coming up on the television, and I'm thinking, if I was still gambling like that, and I'd lost all my money, that would be that would be my ticket out now. That would be my Getaway car to go again, like your way back in. Oh man, like and fifty euro free bet. If I found a little four to one job there now, fifty euro that goes on. That's two hundred euro back plus the fifty euro I put on. That's two fifty. Save maybe two hundred of that, or sorry, save one fifty that. Use the hundred then to go gambling with. Might win another. You know what I mean? Then you're back onto that rat race again, and it just means you're constantly in that mindset. Um, and the mind never stops and you're gambling I, the amount of times I left the bookies thinking never doing that again um, I wouldn't be 15 minutes in the car back home and I'm looking through my phone thinking where can I borrow money to go and do it again like it just it's completely compulsive it takes over everything in your life um, and I know people understand it like I know say the betting companies know all this and they understand it all um, but there's just that it's, it's, it's a, it's a money making machine and it's going to America there now as well like so they're just it's, it's going to go astronomical like no, no, I get it. Obviously, I, I, I'm in America and I see it happening in front of me and I feel like usually a lot of the time in life stuff happens in America and then it filters across to like the Europe or to Ireland and I can literally see the flip of it happening here in terms of the the accessibility, the advertising, the free bets galore. Um, and it's just, it's, I, I, look, I, I think because you're at the coalface, you actually see the ramifications and meet and talk to the people and it's just happening more and more that this is not now, hey, there's an individual that has an issue or that this is like, you know, a person, something happened to this person. Like it's like a systemic failing at this point that it's happening. And when you mentioned like, say you drive around Ireland, you drive trying to, you could drive down street of a small town, three or four of the shops could be closed down. The bookies is always open. Like, you know, um, and it really is. And look, listen, I know I could, we could go on for a whole other hour talking about it. I, I do just want to say to you that like, hey, like, well, this is happening. I'm so glad that people like you are showing up to support people, but also acknowledging that you still carry the weight of your struggles, that it's not like, hey, I'm 11, I'm 11 years free. I'm a die a great lad. So I can tell you, I can help you because it's still in your life or it's still a, it's still a thing you have to deal with, a trigger or a compulsion that presents itself. So I just think we're very lucky to have people like you and I thank you for sharing everything you have in this conversation and kind of to wrap this up and just kind of sign off on, on this whole conversation. Niall, it's just the Players Voice series is one I've been producing in collaboration with the Gaelic Players Association. And I know 
look, me and you are two people who've benefited just enormously from the supports of the, the association for mental health reasons, for addiction issues, in terms of counselling, in terms of accessibility. And we, we go back earlier where we talked about accessibility to services is one of the biggest challenges. We were very lucky that we had an organisation to support us because we were pretty good at playing football, you know? I suppose from your experience, because I know players will be listening to this podcast series. The whole thing has been done in collaboration with the GPA. We've had Con Kilpatrick on earlier in the season already talking about addiction. I just kind of wanted to finish up by asking just like how good of a job the GPA do for supporting players with addiction issues and then also signing off for by asking you if you have any advice or any tip that you would pass on to a GPA member or player that's listening to this. Um, just what would you say to them? Well, I think I suppose initially, I suppose they're they have been um, probably one of the front runners, the GPA, in terms of looking and helping other, or you know offering that support, in terms of also I suppose driving for I suppose legislation around you know gambling in GA in terms of the reducing the sponsorship and that type of stuff, um, and obviously then as well with the amount of players um, over the years that uh, have come forward either publicly or privately just to get support around addiction issues in general, um, I suppose that kind of led, uh, that that would have led, the, I suppose, their policy on, you know, support in terms of, you know, what, are player, what the players need. And obviously that was a huge, a huge, uh, I suppose the deciding factor in terms of you know some of the supports that they put together because they've seen that it was becoming a massive issue among um, lots of players and obviously they've helped numerous uh, individuals uh, get on the road to recovery through either um, treatment processes, uh, going through treatment, um, having one-to-one conversations with maybe a coach initially and then you know speaking to an addiction counsellor on the back of that. Um, but uh, you know, I suppose that has been. For me, I suppose, and for them, um, it's been an incredible, I suppose, service that they've that they've offered in terms of being a, as I say, a forward leader on it. Because you know nobody else really, again, an intercounty player, um, in its infancy, I suppose, when when gambling probably issues started, probably car coming out through the, began to come out through the woodwork. Um, I suppose you're training away, and in another way, sport is kind of that escape from 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 the turmoil and the trauma of it. So. A lot of the time, a player is kind of doesn't want to approach, say, the likes of, say, a manager or, or maybe someone in the club or someone within the county scene because um, that's probably their only bit of respite that they get from the the the, the you know the the the, tra- the trauma and the trouble of, of the actual addiction itself. So to have the GPA there as a support system for them, um, I think, was absolutely huge. I think they actually knew they could go somewhere to have a conversation around this type of stuff, knowing that it was going to be confidential, knowing that they weren't going to be judged, and knowing then, obviously, that they could get the support if they were willing to take the few steps that needed to be taken to get the help. Um, and they've benefited so many players. Obviously, everything, again, I can't name out players or I can't name out statistics because it's all kept so quiet. Of course, yeah. of, and, and, and proper order as well. And, you know, that's, that's the great thing about it is that people come in, go through the system, they, they meet a one, get a one-to-one counsellor, they get you know, maybe a coaching session, they go through treatment, um, they get an aftercare programme, they get all the things put in place that they need in terms of getting their life back on track. Um, and it's recorded as a statistic, but it's not recorded in terms of who it is. And that's brilliant as well because the confidentiality piece is huge. Um, for a lot of people um, so they've done an amazing work um, 
from that point of view and I think other organisations around the world have taken a lot of leadership from it and have seen what they've done and I know it's been it's been shared a lot around different sports maybe the AFL and um, through EU athletes as well in terms of the work the GPA have done over a number of years in terms of that type of support um, and again again, to any player that might be struggling as well from an inter-county point of view and I will say this as well that probably you know it's there's a lot of players that probably aren't inter-county footballers or hurlers or camogie players but um they might be nearly there. So there might have been a good under-20 player, under-21 player back in the day or whatever. And I've known of cases where, you know, there could be someone in their club that's on the, on the county team that have said, look, we don't really know how to get a help for this guy is there, or lady. Is there a possibility that the GPA might be able to help? And absolutely, it's never been an issue that they've turned anyone away um, for something as serious as this, that it be drugs, alcohol, gambling, um, food issues, whatever it might be. So, that, like, in general, they've always been very open to help as many people as possible as they can. And what I will say to anyone that might be struggling or might feel that they have an issue, I suppose the confidentiality piece is huge. Um, and that won't be shared with anyone. So, you know, that, that, that support system is there for them to reach out, to get that bit of help, to get that bit of support. Um, and as I say, it'll all be kept confidential. And also they're going to be getting top level treatment. They're going to be getting top level experts talking to them around what they needed to do and, you know, the support that they need. And they'll really dig deep into, you know, a lot of the reasons behind the addiction. So there is a reason for everything. And once they, once they start digging a little bit deeper, they'll start to realise, you know, what the actual problem is. So I would just say, my final word to them would be, like, just pick up the phone, uh, at your weakest moment, if you feel that you need a bit of help, and oftentimes anyone that's in addiction, there will be those moments of weakness. No, I say weakness, it's actually probably strength, but there's those low moments, say if it's gambling, if you're after losing all your week's wages and you're sitting in the car and you feel completely distraught, deflated, you know, there's that little moment where, you know, that text message is written out and you might just need to send it to someone and when you send it, you know, if you get those two or three days grace when no one helps you, the likelihood is you're going to get back into the same routine as you were in before. But if you can just get that little bit of courage to take that step, to write the message or to make the phone call to say, look, I'm really struggling here, magic happens after that. And I, I, I found that myself. Um, I told my father on a Monday night, met an addiction counsellor on the Tuesday, went for an addiction or treatment in an addiction centre on the Friday and went in for a treatment the following Wednesday. Um, best decision of my life. Uh, all the all the positive things that happened after me just admitting that thing to my father on the Monday night, everything that happened from that was uh, was just incredible. It was like it just took on a life of its own, um, and the relief that I felt. And I've spoken to many people who have done the same, or written that text message, or made that phone call, or had that conversation. And the relief and the weight lifted off their shoulders is something that can't. It's indescribable. Um, so I just say, just take the chance. Just be brave and actually, you know, make that. Make that send that text message or make the phone call or do whatever you have to do or talk to your rep or uh, speak to um, one of the coaches or make a call into the office, whatever it is, I can be guaranteed you the utmost high quality service that you're going to get and you'll be looked after and you'll be, you know, you'll be brought along the journey. And uh, for me anyway, personally, it's been like I'll never look back from it. Like it was one of the best decisions that I ever did and the support that I got um, over the years has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, not only in the, from the addiction point of view, but also outside of that in terms of career, in terms of career direction. And um, there's been great little, I've had, and, you know, they've given me unbelievable help along the way. Um, nearly too much so, uh, to, to a point in terms of getting me to this point. So it's been, it's, it's been incredible. But um, that would be, be the last word on it. But just to, if, if you are struggling or if there is an issue there, um, you know, just to pick up the phone, it mightn't be sorted straight away, but you know, there are avenues that, that they'll help you find to be able to, 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 to send you in the right path. So, um, yeah, that'll be it. No, that's amazing, Niall. Um, listen, I just want to, I just want to close out by saying thank you. Um, look, obviously you're someone I've got to know very well, very privileged to call a good friend. I know you've such a big heart and you've such a smart brain and 
just to sit down and talk to you today that we have in terms of reflecting on the wonderful playing career you've had, the journey that you've been on with 12s and working for yourself and finding niches and passions and chasing and pursuing them and the highs and lows. And then just also, I suppose, your experience with gambling, but also the work that you do, A, to help people, but also the passion you have to find solutions and to to fix a societal issue. It just, it's really inspiring. I know lots of people listening will relate to a huge amount of what you said, will be inspired by what you said. I know I am. And from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you again. I really, really appreciate it. Cheers, Alan. No worries, man. It was a pleasure. I have so much admiration and respect for Noam Akdemy, and I know this conversation will help many people struggling with problem gambling. If you are a member of the Gaelic Players Association and worried about problem gambling, call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808 from the Republic of Ireland, or from Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and need support, please check out gamblersanonymous.ie or problemgambling.ie. The Players Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. Earlier in this series, we also featured an interview with All-Ireland winning midfielder Con Kilpatrick, who shared his journey with gambling addiction and recovery. You can find that episode and all my other conversations with leading GA intercounty players by searching The Player's Voice on whatever podcast platform you prefer. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, please go to www.realtalks.ie or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 programme by visiting bio360.gaelicplayers.com. Thanks for listening.